Weapons of Mass Media Smear and Bias, WMBs from Barry Howard Minkin's book Brainwashed. America's Cultural Revolution. What if the proverbial man from Mars came to Earth disguised as an earthling child? His assignment was to spend 25 years evaluating America's culture and then report back what he found. In our schools at the elementary level he learned being white was bad and being black you were a victim of systemic racism. Those views were reinforced even through his graduate level studies. He would eventually report that America was a racist country from its founding and has no redeeming values worth preserving. That view would be validated during his interaction with friends on social networks. He would later watch riots and looting on the streets of major cities and learn this was part of an ongoing revolution against racism and for social justice. He would cheer with his friends as newly elected President Joe Biden said eliminating systemic racism was at the top of their agenda. These riots are happening lately, he is told, because of a pandemic of police targeting and killing blacks. He watched on TV as left-wing activists and sports celebrities condemned this racism by defaming the symbols of their country. At his workplace he observed as civil right advocates, with support from the government's own EEOC, sued his company because it did not have a representative proportion of minorities in all sectors of the company. He eagerly participated in company-wide diversity training programs. The Martian however, was confused. His research and education clearly showed that hiring and admission to education institutions based on race and sex, rather than merit, went against the very core of America's stated values expressed clearly in the Constitution and in Section 703J of the Civil Rights Act. Moreover, when he investigated facts about cases of police killing blacks, he found that police are almost always later found innocent in a court of law. To clear up his confusion about these and other issues the activists on the street are concerned about, he decided to use Google search. The result from scouring the front pages of his searches consistently supported what he was told by the left-wing and diversity groups riding in the street. It confirmed all he learned in years of schooling, from politicians, church, professional organizations, charitable foundations, celebrities, and those in civil rights movement about the need to dramatically reform this racist capitalist society, into one more socialist-oriented. Before meeting his saucer to return to Mars and make his report, he decided he needed to research if the media would also validate what all the other segments of society thought about American culture. Not surprising, they were almost unanimous in confirming the victimization and all the other concerns raised by the social justice warriors on the left. His report concluded that if all segments of American society say something is true then it must be. Certainly isn't that what the brainwashed masses in Nazi Germany or during Mao's cultural revolution believed. But if the song line goes it ain't necessarily so. How does bias in the news manifest itself? Unfortunately, it's not always easy to recognize. No self-respecting reporter is going to come right out and say in this next sentence is biased, so watch out. Rather, we must try to find bias ourselves, and in order to do so we must know where to look. We have found that the most common ways that bias manifests itself in the news are through word choice, omissions, the limiting of debate, framing of the story, and a bias selection and use of sources. Let's look at specific examples of the unethical methods used daily by the media to successfully brainwash the public into accepting their dangerous agenda. Don't take it anymore. Be aware at all times that you cannot trust most of the media. Only after learning to distinguish truth from propaganda can we write our moral compasses and identify good from evil. Fake news, the left's propaganda arm. Those of you who depended on CNN, Comcast's MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, NPR, Bezos Washington Post, New York Times, or MS. Jobs The Atlantic for your news are fed similar lies independent of which of these sources you're using. 
Also, BBC sadly relies heavily on these same sources for news about America. These outlets, some owned by big tech oligarchs, act like a propaganda arm for the Democratic Party, left-wing radicals, and professional race hustlers. They act like a news monolith and will often use the same terms like a bombshell disclosure before presenting some statement from an anonymous source regarding something negative about Trump or his family or administration on all these cable outlets. These attacks are so often misleading, lies or much ado about nothing, that this group deservedly earned the moniker of fake news. One Trump-Russia collusion hoax nightly coverage, Obamagate rarely covered. As Victor Davis Hanson, a great clear-minded truth-teller commented, shortly before Trump's inauguration, President Barack Obama called Vice President Joe Biden, National Security Advisor Susan Rice, Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates and FBI Director James Comey into the Oval Office. The purpose of the meeting was reportedly to correlate progress reports about how best to continue government surveillance of Trump's designated National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, and thereby disrupt the transition. Flynn's name was soon unmasked, apparently by Obama administration officials, and then illegally leaked to the press. The harassment during the transition became thematic for Trump's next four years, which saw false evidence submitted to federal courts and other classified documents illegally leaked. No prior president has faced such hysterical opposition ban on removing him from office by a special prosecutor, concocted charges that he should be deposed under the 25th Amendment, and, finally, a failed attempt at removal via impeachment. The president's private phone calls to foreign leaders were leaked. Media darlings and anonymous opponents within the government boasted of sabotaging Trump's initiatives. Washington analysts and retired military officers hyped coup scenarios about how best to use force to remove him from office. So it is a bit rich for the media to now warn of Trump's dangers to the spirit of smooth presidential transitions. Such protocols were deliberately rendered null and void in 2016. After numerous and costly investigations, we learned that Trump's team never did collude with Russia, but instead was the victim of one of the most egregious frame-ups and misuse of our intelligence agencies in our history. The coup attempt based on an infamous fake dossier, paid for by Clinton and pushed by the Obama team will hopefully finally come out in the Durham report. Like the famous Dreyfus case in France where the media tarnished an innocent man's reputation with a false charge of treason, MSNBC and CNN spent years spinning what turned out to be a complete hoax during primetime nightly, unfairly targeting Trump and his administration. Media and academia will continue to intimidate, in their Gestapo-style, fair and balanced conservative voices from being heard in our schools and communication outlets. This will ensure the brainwashing continues, the uncovering of the origins of the many myths against Trump never heard, and propaganda accepted as truth. As Nazi propaganda minister Goebbels said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. Repeating lies brainwashed Germans during the war then, as today's media lies are brainwashing generations of Americans to destroy their own great country from within. A few other specific media lies you were fed about Trump. On June 22, 2017, CNN reported that Trump aide Anthony Scaramucci was involved with the Russian Direct Investment Fund, under Senate investigation. He was not, and CNN retracted the story. Three reporters who published it resigned, according to CNN. In May 2018, some progressive activists, journalists, and former Obama speechwriter John Favreau criticized the Trump administration's treatment of unaccompanied children at the U.S. border, citing a picture of children sleeping in an enclosure surrounded by a chain-link fence, along with an azcentral.com article titled, First Glimpse of Immigrant Children at Holding Facility. The article and photo were from 2014, during Obama's presidency. In February 2019, a blog published on All Sides reported how the media reports hate crimes are either rare or common, depending on their bias. 
Law enforcement reported hate crimes to the FBI in 2017, up from 2016. Although the numbers increased over the year, so did the number of agencies reporting hate crime data, with 1,000 additional agencies contributing information. Both left media outlets, CNN, Vox, omitted the fact that more agencies were reporting, in order to present a view that hate crimes were on the rise to make Trump look bad. 2. China Virus Selective Media Bias I will make no apology for calling the current plague the China virus. I detest media collusion to protect China from any consequences for releasing this destructive historic global pandemic and for once again sticking Trump and anyone not using the coronavirus moniker with their flaccid racist label. One such woke journalist, Nihamasi, working as the Indian correspondent for the left-wing international media outlet, The Washington Post, went as far to take to Twitter to denounce India for tweeting on hashtag coronavirus as hashtag Chinese virus 19. Niha called it a nasty and racist attempt to defame China. What is sickening and more dangerous is how Google and other media, as I have shown throughout this book, Google now operates more as a content provider than an objective search engine, are colluding to provide cover for China, our most significant adversary role in this disaster. Searching Google about media bias regarding the China virus, I found most media sites attacking America for China bias and racism. I finally came upon an article online from the Epoch Times, a news source I found trustworthy in the past. The article is titled, China Silenced Doctors Who Warned of the New Virus. To my shock, I was immediately hit with warnings about the source, including an unwelcomed video popping up with some high-tech sellout to China, warning that the claims in sight are not valid, and banners directing me to other sites. As you have learned throughout the book, I've been outraged and surprised by the search engine becoming a propaganda tool for brainwashed social justice warriors. But with the multimedia barrage when I opened the Epic Times site, I felt I had inadvertently opened a door into some Orwellian society, with a brutal policy of draconian control by propaganda, disinformation denial of the truth, doublethink, and manipulation of the past. It became very clear that I must add foreign adversaries like China, Russia, and Iran to the cabal of domestic institutions and groups committed to brainwashing the masses and overturning our democracy. Moreover, like the corrupt World Health Organization, Google is deep in bed with China and has become a leader in purveying its Communist Party propaganda. Media spinning China virus statistics. Media fear and smear campaign destroyed our economy, education and got Biden elected. As we have been isolated in our homes, we are subjected by media headlines nightly about record-breaking numbers of those infected by the China virus in various locales in the US and around the world. Such news provided the Biden campaign an opportunity to blame Trump for his handling of the pandemic and was the major reason for a Biden win. Indeed, before the pandemic Trump's historic accomplishments assured him of an easy victory. Trump was bashed by the monolithic fake news despite the fact that he effectively led the largest medical mobilization in world history, bringing supplies and even vaccines at warp speed. Even his nemesis Governor Newsom and Cuomo publicly praised his achievement. There was little media coverage of the governor's comments and complete shade was provided about the most deadly wrong decision of the pandemic. That, of course, was Cuomo ordering nursing home patients with the virus back into nursing homes to free up hospital space. With Trump supplying hospital space in the Javits Center, Central Park, and by sending a hospital ship, it turned out that there was a massive amount of unused beds and Trump equipment and supplies. Trump also banned travel from China and Europe while the Democrats were holding a sham impeachment and Pelosi was standing with a crowd in Chinatown, telling the public there is nothing to worry about and to come visit. Examples of media's and Google's effective fear and smear campaign that got Biden elected. Did your media source tell you that COVID was less harsh on kids than the flu? 
This year's stats show for younger people, seasonal flu is in many cases a deadlier virus than COVID-19. Even left-leaning PolitiFacts rules that the statement by Senator Ron Johnson, mostly true. Here's why, as schools across the country open for the uncertain, unprecedented school year to come, opinions are split on how to do so safely. Some districts have opted for completely virtual learning. Others will try a mix of both online and in-person classes, or will send younger children to school while older kids stay home, or will face students back to the classroom gradually. Others still are calling for schools to reopen completely for those who feel well enough to teach and attend, and who aren't especially vulnerable to COVID-19. Is Johnson correct that COVID-19 is less deadly for children than the flu? To back up his claim, Johnson's office sent statistics from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Flu and COVID-19 deaths among Americans under age 18. During the 2018-19 flu season, the CDC reported approximately 480 flu deaths among children ages 0 to 17, about 30% of whom had a lab-confirmed case of influenza. Comparably, 90 American youth have died from coronavirus complications from the beginning of the pandemic through mid-August, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. More than 46,000 children were hospitalized for the flu in that 2018-19 period. The hospitalization rate among children 5 to 17 was 39.2 children per 100,000 children. For COVID-19, that hospitalization rate is 6 per 100,000 children ages 5 to 17, the CDC says. In a report detailing the differences between COVID-19 and the flu, the CDC states that the risk of complications for healthy children is higher for flu compared to COVID-19. And data from Wisconsin echoes that sentiment. Since the pandemic began, no children have died from COVID-19 complications, according to that State Department of Health Services death data, and 147 people ages 0 to 19 have been hospitalized. In contrast, three pediatric flu deaths occurred during this year's flu season, DHS data show, and 605 kids ages 17 and under have been hospitalized. Overall fatality rate. In March, we heard much about the case fatality rate of the China virus. In the US it was roughly 3%, nearly 3 out of every 100 people who were identified as cases of the China virus died from it. Compare that to today when the fatality rate is less than one half of 1%. In other words, when the World Health Organization, WHO, said 3% of those who get the virus die from it, they were wrong by at least one order of magnitude. The rate is closer to 0.2%. The reason for the highly inaccurate early estimates is simple, we were not identifying most of the people infected by the virus. When the Trump team dramatically increased testing, CNN sneered at the president for misleading people by claiming the U.S. did more COVID-19 tests than any other country. They, correctly, pointed out that per capita, South Korea and Italy tested many times more. CNN was right to adjust for population. But then, to make Trump look worse, CNN suddenly stopped adjusting for population. They scolded the president, saying, the U.S. had more coronavirus cases than any country in the world. But that's just wrong. Adjusted for population, 28 countries, including France, England, Ireland, and Norway had more cases. More nasty from MSNBC host and former John McCain 2008 campaign aide Nicole Wallace, this moment is like every other in Donald Trump's presidency, where it's about his fragile, teeny-tiny ego, and the vast nation that he leads, and he's making all his decisions based on press coverage, the difference here is that people are dying, more than 30,000 people have died. The virus is still spreading across the country and Donald Trump today, like a punk, seemed to tweet about protesters. Wallace ignores the administration's mitigation efforts many believe have sharply reduced the number of projected deaths from 2.2 million to fewer than 50,000 to date. 
As Trump said at Monday's briefing, if he discovered a pill that cured the virus, the media and Democrats would still criticize him. This is from New York Times columnist David Brooks on the PBS NewsHour, if you said anything nasty about Donald Trump, you don't qualify for the reopening committee. And that basically guarantees a very low level of competence from that committee. The North Korean style, you know, loyalty tests are going to be crushing to the competence of any effort going forward. New York Times Thomas Friedman echoed his colleagues who seemed to daily ratchet up new labels to apply to the president. Friedman recently called the president unhinged and reckless. MSNBC host Joe Scarborough, a former Republican congressman from Florida, got Newsbusters number one award for saying the following, the Republican Party claims to be the party of life, if you're talking about the unborn. But if you're the born, my God, watch out. If you're especially in the greatest generation, if you're a World War II veteran in your 90s, if you're a Vietnam veteran in your 60s, if you're a Korean War veteran in your 70s or 80s, well, the hell with you, they're saying, well, yeah, they're gonna die. Yeah, we know older people are gonna die. The greatest generation, a lot of people are going to die there. A lot of people are going to die that are Korean War vets and Vietnam vets. But you know what? We have got to get Wall Street purring again. 3. George Floyd death. Rioting, looting, burning, assaults, and deaths resulted due to the cause of his death being suppressed by Google and the media. The media stirred up public outrage after the video of a cop putting his knee on Floyd's neck seemingly killing him. But have you heard anything on the media about what the medical examiner found as the actual cause? Probably not. Did you know that Floyd had a fatal level of fentanyl in his system? New documents filed give information about the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's findings in Floyd's autopsy. Notes of a law enforcement interview with Dr. Andrew Baker, the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, say Floyd had 11 nanograms per milliliter of fentanyl in his system. If he were found dead at home alone and no other apparent causes, this could be acceptable to call an odd. Deaths have been certified with levels of 3, Baker told investigators. Moreover, new documents say Floyd had a heavy heart and at least one artery was approximately 75% blocked. How much death and destruction could have been avoided if the facts came out immediately and we had an honest press? 4. Joe Biden scandal. We have a corrupt media that serves as a propaganda arm. Our media works for the Democrat Party. Indeed, less than a week before our most important election we hit the lowest points in history of the press in America. In an unprecedented attempt at election interference, the mainstream media and the oligarchs in big tech decided to put a protective wall around Joe Biden's candidacy. The Wall Street Journal's editor-at-large called out the lapdog press for blacking out explosive Tony Bobulinski claims during a Tucker Carlson interview. Bobulinski, a former decorated Navy officer and former business associate of Hunter Biden, met with Joe Biden twice. He said Biden's brother shrugged off concerns that Joe Biden's ties to his son's business deals could put a future presidential campaign at risk. They said they would use plausible deniability if they were caught, which they have been. This is further proof that Google and the lapdog press are not worthy of public trust. This historical censorship of the massive corruption charges against Biden probably cost Trump the election. Moreover, the fact that the FBI is also looking into pedophilia charges against Hunter after viewing his laptop, or Tara Reid's sexual assault by Joe Biden hasn't even elicited a whisper from the Me Too women's movement and the media, screams of their hypocrisy. 5. President Trump calls neo-Nazis very fine people. Like the hands up don't shoot and no justice, no peace harmful but baseless slogans, the left uses there are good people on both sides as a statement they attributed to Trump after Charlottesville. Did he say that during a famous press conference following the Charlottesville riots of August 2017? 
The major media reported that he did. But what if their reporting is wrong? Worse, what if their reporting is wrong and they know it's wrong? A straight exploration of the facts should reveal the truth. This is what the liberal media did to President Trump following the melee in Charlottesville. They convicted him as a supporter of white supremacy simply for having the wisdom to wait until facts emerged. They declared his statement too little too late. Proof Trump is not a racist, but rather a victim of an ongoing media smear campaign, was presented in an earlier chapter but is worth mentioning again. Even the transcript of his remarks on leftleaningfactcheck.org, proves Trump condemned white supremacy several times. Indeed, he was referring to the pulling down of a statue of Robert E. Lee when he spoke of very fine people. People do disagree with the destruction of statues, and that is their right to do so. Moreover, on the day of Heather Hare's savage killing, he unequivocally issued a statement condemning hatred and violence by anyone. You can fault President Trump for many things, but distorting what he said at Charlottesville and thereafter is not good journalism, it's grasping at some political advantage. Another ongoing hoax easily disproved by serious journalism is that proud Americans, who support Trump and counter the BLM Antifa's rioting and destruction of our sites, are white supremacists. The Proud Boy hoax is a good example of the ongoing smear tactics used to reinforce left-wing brainwashing. Enrique Tarrio insists that the Proud Boys aren't white supremacists, and he would be in a position to know. For one, he's the international chairman. For another, he's black. I denounce white supremacy, Mr. Tarrio said in a Thursday interview with WSVN-TV in Miami. I denounce anti-Semitism. I denounce racism. I denounce fascism. I denounce communism and any other ism that is prejudiced toward people because of their race, religion, culture, and tone of skin. 6. What riots? As reported by Steve Krakauer in The Hill, the New York Times has introduced a new term into our political lexicon, rage moms. Its August 17th story described fired-up mothers supporting protesters in Portland, Oregon, and the caption on the story's photo declared, the wall of moms that emerged from the Portland protests is one of the latest examples of parents engaging in activism to strengthen the social safety net. Democrats, the Times said, are counting on these rage moms to help them win in November. They did but also reinforce the negative stereotype of women acting out of emotion and not logic. Their families will pay the price for not considering the negative impacts of their decisions, some of which I predicted in the beginning of this book, if Biden won and the Senate went blue. Meanwhile, the Washington Post wrote a glowing profile of Portland's protesters, complete with a photo shoot in protest garb and the headline that protest is what Portland does best. I'm waiting to see that slogan in the Chamber of Commerce pitch for visitors. They can offer a free circus as well, with the governor and mayor performing a dog and pony show while the city burns in the background. These are just two examples of the absurd lengths to which the Acela Corridor Media, the biased left-wing media named for the Amtrak service that runs between and is largely based in, New York City and Washington DC, has gone to glamorize the violent riots that have emerged from what began as peaceful protests around the country. Portland is not a model of peaceful protests, no matter how the media tries to spin it through a bias of omission of the reality on the ground. Here's the truth, over a recent weekend, a man was violently assaulted to the point of being rendered unconscious by a mob that said he tried to run over people. Without social media, no one would likely have any idea that this happened. This is not new, violent rioters are regularly clashing with police officers in Portland. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, D, has largely stood on the sidelines during this mayhem, but even his call to the crowd that they are attempting to commit murder has gotten barely any coverage from the legacy media outlets, except for Fox News. When the media does cover Portland rioting, it often misses the story. 
There are the subtle ways, like how CBS News picks up a story about rioting by describing it passively as riot declared by police, rather than stating that a literal riot happened. Or you have something more egregious, like the Times story about Bible burning and flag burning in Portland. The Times described it as the first viral hit in Russia's 2020 disinformation campaign and claimed the story spread by conservatives was too good to check. In reality, even somewhat left-biased Snopes described the story as true not Russia disinformation, as the Times alleged. Several Bibles were, in fact, burned. An American flag was, too, as a crowd cheered. Stating these facts is not disinformation, nor does it mean all protesters burn Bibles and American flags. But reporting the truth was mischaracterized by the Times as disinformation. And this is the crux of the issue, the Times and others in the media are so resistant to describe the violent looting and rioting happening in America as what it is, because they believe it will take away from the legitimate social justice protests which spurred these latest actions. In fact, by spinning the violence as part of the protests, the media take away from the cause they are trying to protect. Peaceful protesters don't assault police officers, they don't burn or loot buildings. That sort of criminal behavior should be covered, and not ignored, so it can be contrasted with the coverage the media gave to the legitimate protests in June and early July. It's no longer relegated to protests. Portland saw more homicides in July than during any month over the past 30 years. And it's not just Portland, either. In Chicago earlier this month, Massive looting was condemned by the mayor but not by media forces covering for Black Lives Matter. On CNN, the incident was barely covered. In New York City, gun violence has skyrocketed, and it's fallen to sites like The Gothamist and other local outlets to cover it, since the national media has largely ignored it. The media refusing to do their job as a fair, neutral purveyor of information has real-world consequences. Following the media's rosy portrayal of the illegal occupation of Seattle by the Chaz-slash-Chop group, which led to violence and other criminal behavior, Seattle city government eventually caved to many of their demands. In response, Seattle's black female police chief resigned this month. It really is about the overarching lack of respect for the officers, the men and women who work so hard, day in and day out, said Chief Carmen Best. What we used to call mainstream media is now woke media. Many don't even try to be objective. Watching CNN during this summer's protests, I noticed that reporters kept calling protests mostly peaceful even when reporting violence. CNN posted the words, mostly peaceful protests on the screen when flaming cars were on the street behind their reporter. CNN defended itself, citing a study that said 93% of protests were peaceful. But that's silly. When planes crash, we don't put 99% landed safely on the screen. As Joe Concha put it, when people start dying and losing their businesses, that's your story. And then there is the media's most potent power, the power to ignore certain stories. For those who are passive in the way they receive information, that is accepting what the major media report and say, these and worse comments are accepted as truth. That is a major reason the brainwashing happened. It is why socialism and the Democratic Party, which offer free stuff in exchange for votes, are so appealing to especially the young. The media's liberal slant is likely a major factor contributing to the decline of newspaper circulation and broadcast news ratings. It is also predictable that people don't need to waste their time, or money, reading and watching. American taxpayers have long subsidized the indoctrination efforts of the public broadcasting service, PBS. PBS has now become a major component of leftist broadcasting. In fact, millions of people wonder what public PBS thinks it is broadcasting to? Is it useful to include every point of view simply to cover every base? Even PBS senior producer Linda Harar said that PBS programming is virtually impossible for their audience to sort out. 
we agree, but PBS listeners are more conservative and do not appreciate the historical revisionism and moral relativism found throughout PBS programming, right down to kids' programming.